everybody. Welcome back to Home on the RNG. Welcome back. We're so glad you could join us again. We are glad. In these desperate times. <clears throat> these troubled times. When they release games like... Quick, I need the name of a game that was recently released that was really bad. That's a good question. Quick, I need a better co-host. <laughs> um, no, we are here today <clears throat> to talk about Grandia. Which was not a game that was recently released that was really bad. True. It yeah. was recently remastered. It was recently remastered. At the time of this recording <clears throat> and recently being relative. <laughs> it was remastered in the last year or so. It was, yeah. So, um, let's go ahead and start off with personal history. And Russ, you can tell us of your deep personal history with Grandia. Um, <clears throat> strangely enough, I do not have deep personal history with Grandia. I did not know what Grandia was or about Grandia until Grandia 3. So I did not play Grandia until it came out for the PlayStation Classic online store for the PS3. So I do not have deep personal history with this game. This was like a new game to me 10 or 12 years after it came out. So, as often happens, I have no personal history with this game. I never heard of Grandia until Russ uh, said, hey, we're playing Grandia. Uh, also, I'd like to apologize in advance. I have a little bit of a cough that may creep up during this. I'll try to edit it out, but it may happen in the background. I'm sorry, guys. Um, so, since I have no personal history, I did just the tiniest bit of research, mm -hmm. by which I mean I read the first paragraph on Wikipedia. Uh, so it was released for the Sega Saturn in 1997 by Game Arts and published by Entertainment Software Publishing, created by many of the same people who made the Lunar series. One of your favorites. I really liked Lunar 1. Okay. <laughs> Lunar 2 took a hard turn for me. For this review, we both played the semi-recent Switch remaster. Yes. They, they grouped Grandia 1 and 2 together on the Switch... Uh, and that's what we played. So if there are changes from the original to the Switch version that we don't address, I apologize. So my understanding is that the Switch release is based off of the PlayStation 1 port, which is supposedly not as good as the Sega Saturn version. Wow. Um, yeah, and I don't really know why. I think maybe it has something to do with the music or something like that, but it is based off the PlayStation port. Well, and that, it only came out for the Switch, weirdly. The Switch is getting a lot of that kind of thing. It really like, is they're, getting, they're a getting a lot. They're getting a lot of compilations. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of here for it. They're getting a, well, a, definitely. Sa a Saga series yes. compilation yeah. coming out I mean, the month. Switch is fantastic. I mean, you it's know. portable, it's great, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just weird. So, let's go ahead and get started with story and characters. And I have my normal, uh, I don't have a printed version of this to make my normal paper popping sound, but I do have my, <laughs> my uh, little short synopsis. A teenage boy dreams of adventure, so he abducts an eight-year-old girl and sets forth to uncover the truth about an ancient civilization with the might of an army hot on his heels. 
That's a very good summation. Don't you don't you hate it when you have to abduct an eight year old girl and set out on an adventure? A lot of teenagers friends with eight year old girls when yeah. I grew up. That was a normal. Right. Like, so <laughs> normally you talk about the characters, but I did want to talk just real quick about one of the most fascinating things in this story. Because early on, you learn something about your mother in the game. Oh, right. <laughs> your mother was once a famous pirate queen. Yeah. <laughs> it's just dropped and goes on. Like, yes. Yeah. Where's the prequel? <laughs> I know. I, I play. I thought the exact same thing. Also, she is yeah. super okay with her teenage son casually asking. Hey, how would I go about getting on a boat to go to the other end of the world to go on an adventure? Oh, well, when I was a famous pirate queen, I just... Da -da 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 -da. Wow. Lady. Lily is a very cool mom. Grandia actually has, as we will learn, a history of pretty cool moms. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about our main characters? Our main character is Justin. He is a teenage boy with some fiery red hair. Again, the epic fantasy hero, mm. Justin. Justin, yes. I mean, it's a it's a it's a noble name, um, and he decides that he wants to go on a grand adventure like his father did, which is apparently how he met his mother, the pirate queen. And I mean, if my parents were an adventurer and a pirate queen, I mean, what else would I want to do? Oh yeah, you know. Um, and then, like any you know, fifteen year old boy or normal fifteen year old boy, he hangs out with an eight year old girl named Sue, um, who has a weird little floaty creature that she wears as a hair ribbon. Yep. Uh, puffy. And they are best friends, and so she decides to tag along with him on the adventure. Those are your first two characters. Um, before you get to who I think you're going to address next, okay. which is the best character. Sure. So, this game actually had, like, a lot of girl power feeling to it. It's true. Three very important high-ranking officers in the enemy army that come after you are women. True. Your mother is a famous pirate queen. <laughs> and then, at a certain point in your adventure, you meet the greatest adventurer in the world. Yes. Who joins your party. Would you like to tell us about the greatest adventurer in the, the world? The greatest adventurer in the world is a spunky, green-haired teenage girl named Fina with a very great <coughs> hair clip things. And she is fantastic. She is absolutely fantastic in a world of uh, damsels in distress. She is absolutely not that. Um, and she's just upbeat and fun and positive and spunky and uh, great personality. Just a great, just a person that I would like to know. So there is actually, <laughs> as the story goes on, a romance does start to blossom between Fina and Justin. And I've decided we're not going to talk about it too much here because I will say it's done very well. And it's done so well, in fact, that it made me want to have another uh, episode, a side quest with Russ where we would talk about the portrayal of romantic relationships in JRPGs. Sure. Because this one stood out to me as being so well done that I had to examine why that was. And I think it's because... They're not usually done well. They're not usually done well. So that'll be a separate Justin episode and, that you can sure. find. I'll just say briefly, I feel like Justin and Fina's is different because she's not a damsel in distress. He respects her talents, learns from her, and then they find themselves as equals. 
Sure, but on top of that, and that's a great reason to have a good relationship, but it's the betrayal of the relationship that's really good, because the game goes ahead and takes, like, let's take five minutes and just let them have a moment together. Sure, sure. Right? The plot doesn't feel a need to constantly, like, we get character moments. Right. And they're done well. Yeah. Um, minor spoiler, the epilogue shows that ten years later... <laughs> They're 15 when they meet. They're 15, yeah. And within 10 years, they have five kids yeah. while full-time adventuring still. They got... Wow. ...a lot going on. Fina is not just the world's greatest <laughs> adventurer, but she's apparently just popping kids out in the middle of battle. <laughs> yes. um, another thing, this game focuses very strongly on something that comes up in a lot of these games... And that's the idea of an ancient, advanced civilization. Yes. And I don't know how much we're going to talk about this, really. But what I find so fascinating about this concept is when you're playing a game or reading a book or watching a movie, the idea that there was an ancient civilization that somehow, in some small way, had technology superior to what we have now yes. is very commonplace. Right. When characters encounter that, you accept it without a moment's hesitation and you go on. Whereas, that is not the case in our world. Right. I mean, we can make up stories about, you know, the Mayans had advanced this or that. There is no ancient civilization that had something more advanced than we have now. Right. It's just, it does not exist on mm. this planet. Sure. But it exists so common in our literature that we don't question it. Right. It is such a common trope. I find that fascinating. That we just, we accept it. Oh, cool. it's an ancient of civilization. Of course, ancient <laughs> technology, yes. Which is something that doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, and lastly, talking about the story, uh, kind of a negative note about the story, I really feel like the last 10 to 15 hours could have been tightened up a little bit. It is long, yeah. I'll give you that. It just, it, it didn't feel as focused at the end. Like, sure. Can we, can we get this going? This game needs to end at some point. It can be difficult to figure out how to wrap, the, wrap up <clears> things. Did you have any other characters you wanted to talk about? Well, I mean, we've already discussed Fina, sure. who is the absolute best. Um, and Lily, who is probably my second favorite character. That's what's interesting, is I felt like in this game I was so focused on, like, Justin and Fina that I didn't find the other characters particularly exciting or memorable. There's the big knight... Yeah, there's a Gadwin, yes. there's the Big Knight, there's Rap, um, yes. there's Milda, the big strong woman. See? Yeah. I don't even remember their names. Okay, but, well, I mean, I remember their names. names. They're just not, it, it, it's interesting because I feel like this story... Milda the cow woman. The cow woman. <laughs> because Milda's civilization is such that all of the cow women are big muscly, strong, lean. Yeah. And all of the men are giant, fat, bipedal cows. <laughs> the right. women are, you know, Miss Universe muscle-bound champions. Yeah. And the men are walking sacks of fat. <laughs> yeah. I would want to escape that civilization. But I digress. Um, yeah, I just, I think to, in a good way that the game was so focused on Justin and Fina that I didn't, um, didn't really have an attachment to the rest of the cast. Not there. even Sue and Puffy? I mean, I liked Sue. Sue is probably the one other character that I liked, and I was very disappointed when she is not a permanent character with you. 
because um, I was really, you know, I, I did like her. Um, but I also liked what they did with her character, that it's not necessarily responsible to okay. just drag an eight-year-old girl um, off to other continents. Yeah, the two 15-year-olds and... realize <laughs> right. that perhaps they should let the eight-year-old go home. Right, yeah. I, I did like that. Anyway, so we're going to go ahead and move on to the combat system. Yay! I've seen a lot of weird combat systems in my day, but this one really took me a while to understand. Okay. It, it took me a minute to get my, my head around it. So there's a meter at the bottom along which all of the combatants move to let you know whose turn is coming up next. But different people or monsters move at different rates depending on what's happening, what they're doing. Right. And what they're... If so, you're executing a special attack, then your meter warms up slowly. It moves more slowly. Versus if you're doing a regular attack. Time pauses while you decide what kind of action you'll take, which I always appreciate. Right. Because that lets me feel like I'm being strategic. Then your action, including moving to within range of the enemy, which happens automatically, happens while time advances on the meter. Right. Characters' regular attacks attack twice. Yes. And they will move and attack the nearest alive enemy if the one that they're targeting is defeated before their two attacks are finished. <laughs> yes, you really studied this. I'm, I'm telling you, like, it, it, the first 10, 15 combats, I had no idea what was okay. going on. It was just the Wild West on my, <laughs> on my game screen. I had, so I, I did, I wrote down everything you just saw, like, word for word, so I could, like, okay, I need to understand what's sure. happening right now. Um, there are three levels of magic, each with their own set of MP. Which, it's a little bit like Final Fantasy One. Yes, it's like a magic charge you, system rather than an MP Yeah, you can system. cast X number of level three spells, but then you've still got some level one and level two spells right. in your back pocket. Once I figured it out, I liked the combat system. Oh, I love the combat system. I think Grandia has one of my favorite combat systems. Um, the thing that I like about the the meter and how both you and the enemies have like different charges times that you have to charge up to use different attacks is i like the interruption the yeah. canceling system of that because you can use your um i can't remember what it's called not your regular attack but your strong attack basically yeah and you can knock enemies out of the charge window. A little bit like Legend of Heroes. Yes, yeah. You can knock enemies out of the charge window so that they not only don't... They, like, basically totally lose their turn, and then they have to start over from the beginning <coughs> of the charge meter. Of course, enemies can also do that to you, but I like those sort of battle systems that are very... Uh, that you can manipulate in that way. You can basically... Like you said, the Legend of Heroes battle system, you can, like, cancel enemy turns... And you can try your best to make it through battles with, like, no damage, or... I just find that very interesting. It's one of my favorites, truly. It's, it's a really good battle system. It just... It was so unfamiliar. It is It is yeah. a unique battle system. Yeah. Uh, we, we compare it a little bit to Legend of Heroes, but it's it's not. At first glance, it's not. It's not that yeah. at all. Um and without a tutorial system, you know, right. it took me it took me a little while to adjust to this completely 
And I like that. I appreciate that the designers seem to just start from scratch. Yeah. What do we want in a combat system? No, no, mm -hmm. forget everything that's gone before. What do we want from scratch? And I appreciate that. Yeah, that is good. I think I like it. As much as I love Legend of Heroes Trail series, I think I like this combat system even more than that because it's more active. The meters are always charging up. It, you know, every I like the I like the the chaotic nature of the battle system. I and I also like, by the way, sure. how effective status spells are in great yes. games. They're actually useful. I hate, I'm just going to say Final Fantasy because it's the first thing that came to mind, and they give you, like, the stone spell, petrify, instant death, and then it never works. It never works. <laughs> you can never actually put the enemy to sleep. If you I can never actually poison the enemy. If I recall correctly, I put a lot of enemies into stone status in this game. Yes, you can. And sleep? The sleep spell? My lord. Like, I, I, I love that. I love that they said, oh, all these RPGs have status spells. Let's actually let them do something. Trails, by the way, also does the same thing. Although in Trails, you're, not that I want to get on a Trails tangent... But you're mostly equipping those uh, abilities to your weapons. Yeah. But nevertheless, I love they a game. Work. I love a game that uses a good status ailment to to great effect. So. It is fun to have those options to yes. actually manipulate Definitely. The, the environment. So um, I don't have anything else for combat system. Do you? No, I don't think. No, I don't think anything else for combat system. I just it's it's really great. It is. It's a very good system and. Subject I do and it was already good in this game, and then the further games just improve it even more. See, and I haven't played so, the further yeah. ones yet. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to innovations, where sure. there is a lot yeah. to talk about. Sure. favorite thing about this entire game. I, I agree with you about your least favorite thing. <laughs> see, I, I don't like that in this current setup you can see my notes. <laughs> my least favorite thing about this game is my least favorite thing about any game because I am by nature a pack rat. Yeah. And it is each character has their own limited inventory. Mm -hmm. Even Earthbound, which I love, Yeah. this drives me nuts. I, I hate this level of inventory management where it's not just I have a limited inventory, but I have a limited inventory for each character that right. I have to trade items over and yes. shuffle and sell and I hate it's it. It's very, very annoying and on top of that there's also not a, even a sort button. There's uh, not a sort button yeah. and I hate it because I need to be able to sort my items. I am constantly hitting that sort button in every RPG that has a sort button. So, some of the nice things that I like is there is a compass arrow that usually points you to your objective. Now, it doesn't sure. do it in certain cases when you're in a town or whatever, but in a dungeon, it's very useful because it, this is a 3D-style game. Right. So, it is easy to get turned around and lost, and it is just super helpful to have an arrow on your map that goes, by the way this is the direction you're supposed to go. Because I'm one of those people, Definitely, yeah. whenever I'm in a JRPG dungeon, I am trying to go into every nook and cranny looking for treasures right. and hoping I don't go the right way by accident until I'm ready. Having an arrow that says you want to go this way is very helpful to me because then probably if I take a left here but the arrow's pointing 
right, I'll be okay to explore a little. I agree. I totally agree. The game has an interactable environment. Uh, mm-hmm. You may remember when we did Shining Force, one of the fun little things I talked about was, like, there was a cart in, in a town, and you pushed it, and it moved, and it, like, bumped into somebody. I don't remember anything fun in Shining Force, but I'll take your word for that. Things move in dungeons. Sometimes you knock down bottles if you run past them too close. Yes. It, it's just... None of it's super significant, but it is little touches that add a little bit of immersiveness to the world that you're in. Right. And I like that. I agree. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the dungeons have what are called eagle eye spots. You find these certain spots, yes. you click a button, and the camera zooms way up so you can get an overview of what you're looking at. The eagle eye spots, I agree, are one of my favorite things, not only because of that, because it, but it also reorients the map that you're on yes. <laughs> to like the default north, south, east, west. So if you turn the map all the way around... You can go to one of those eagle eye spots, and you're like, oh, I was supposed to go north, and that's where north is. <laughs> and it's very, very, very handy. Yeah. So I almost wanted to talk about this in combat, but I think it belonged more in innovation. Mm-hmm. And that's how leveling up skills and magic works. Okay. I was about to mention things about that in combat, too. So. Well, would you like to mention them here? Well, you go ahead, and then I'll add what I... Okay. Wanted to say. So, um, in terms of skills with weapons, you level up the skills you use. So, the more you attack, the better your attack skill with that type of weapon. Uh, weapons are divided into categories. It's like swords, clubs, right. stabs, uh, boomerangs, or range. Mm-hmm. Whips. Whips. I and think each the, character has like a small variety of I the different types they can two use. or three for each character right. that they're good at. Yeah. Special attacks and new skills depend on having different elements and weapon types mm-hmm. at certain levels, which encourages creative grinding. Right. Like, grinding doesn't feel as much of a chore when you have a, a very tight goal. Like, all right, yes, I'm going to grind, I'm going to get my levels up, but I'm also going to figure out how to make Justin use his sword more than any of the other team members do anything because I need to get his sword up three levels. Right. So you you aren't just doing the same combat right. click, 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 attack, attack, yeah. attack, attack, attack. You're actually getting smart with, okay, I need to level up water for this person and uh, earth for this person and the, the sword for this person. So I'll do that configuration for a little while. Okay, now I need to switch them over right. to fire. I, I like things That's that very make, true. It very makes true. the grind more less noticeable. Yeah. You don't true. really think about the fact that you're grinding as much as you think about the fact that you're evening out your characters. Yes. Uh, magic is divided into four elements. And at first, your characters can't use magic. Correct. You have to find mana eggs hidden in the world. One egg means you can teach one element to one character. And then they use it and level it up. And yes. again, they will learn... Like, level 2 spells and level 3 spells based on if fire is at this level and water is at this level, then you're doing a storm cloud. At this, or right. lightning. Yes. Or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Which I think is very creative, the yeah. way it combines those elements to... And it kind of hints you into what direction you can go. Yeah. Uh, because it'll start showing if you have the right elements, but they're not at the right level... The higher levels, when you look at your status screen, will say, well, if you had fire at this and earth at that, 
there's a skill here, but we're not going to tell you what it is. We're not going to tell you what it is, yeah. So what did you want to add? Oh, what I wanted to add to uh, specifically to those magic levels is with the mana eggs, there are a very finite number of mana eggs in the game. So I personally, when I first played, ended up teaching Sue a lot of magic. I did too. In the beginning. And then Sue leaves you. So, but what I like about the game is that because you have this finite number of mana eggs, instead of you just being screwed for doing that, once she leaves, whatever magic she learned and whatever level she have, had in that magic, you get a special item that you can then pass on to another character and then they can absorb those same magic levels. It's not quite a one-for-one, one, though. Well, still, it's I It's like half the ability. Right. And if the person you're trying to transfer it into is already more powerful in that, it's less of a boost. I just appreciate that it's right yeah. that it's something that you can use so that you don't because I'm the kind of person that I'll realize that I did something quote unquote wrong like that and then want to like restart the game or give up or whatever and I appreciate that they put something like that in so you don't feel like you really messed up when yeah. they're not telling you oh, this character is not going to be with you forever. So I had a note a little bit further down that's on the same topic. Like, I like when games give you items with permanent status boosts. Mm, yeah. But I hate when it turns out you use them <laughs> on somebody who's going to leave the party. For me, most famously, this was Dragon Quest Seven, the first yeah. time I played Dragon Quest VII. Uh, there's a party member named Kiefer who's a very confident, very capable warrior. And I was dumping a lot of attack mm -hmm. items into him because I had a plan for... I was just going to make him, like, the ultimate warrior character. Sure. And then he left the party, never to return. <laughs> and I went, Hey! I gave you a whole bunch of nuts! I want them back! <laughs> and after that point, now, most games, I only use those stat boost items on the main yeah. character. See, so you should develop my tactic, which is just saving all of that <laughs> until the very end of the game... And then dumping ah. it into everybody for, like, the final boss. That seems like making more work for yourself for no reason. <laughs> it's just the weird way that you, I do Your it. characters could have been boosted this whole time. <laughs> um, so, a minor note, ends are free in this game, which yeah. is just unusual and interesting. Mm -hmm. And you have the option to have a dinner at the ends. Yes. Which just allow you to have party chat. I love that. Which is just kind of fun. Again... It's like we were talking about with the romance. The game is perfectly comfortable to just let your characters develop a little bit of personality. Yeah. Like, not everything is pushing the envelope, we're on an adventure, the world is at stake, go, 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 yeah. go, go. This room, this game takes room to breathe. It shows you the downtime on an adventure as yeah, well. Yeah, and it's great. Um, so ends are free, and you can have character moments. And this game does one other thing that I really... And we've talked about this before. We've, we've talked endlessly about how my preference is always for visible encounters. Yes. I like it when you can see it coming so you have a chance to dodge or you know what you're getting into. This one does something even better, I think. Monsters that you defeat do not respawn until you leave that screen and come back. Right. Now, since this game, the dungeons are frequently a bit maze-like, Yes. this is fantastic because yeah. it encourages exploration but doesn't punish you. 
I can look at every nook and cranny of this dungeon, and when I know there are no more monsters, I must have seen everything. Right. Move on to Very the next good. one. Or, you know, if you want to grind a little, duck in and out. You know, yeah. beat up, beat yeah. up, beat up, duck in and out. That, those are the innovations I have. I agree. I feel like, um, I feel like this game pioneered i want to say a lot of things that more modern rpgs do and we kind of take for granted for now so unless you've got something else no we're good yeah we're gonna That's go ahead a lot and of move innovations into, move into uh music our favorite <laughs> topic that we are the most knowledgeable about prefer to have Chris here with us to talk about music so that we have anybody here to talk about music but, sure. um, and I don't know when you guys are listening to this episode but there's this pandemic going on and uh, Russ you... and I had to quarantine before we could even be in the same room with each other to record this. That's true, yeah. So uh, it's just going to be Russ and I talking about the music so I apologize already because I know it's going to be a short subject. Uh, Russ, who was the composer for this game? The composer was Noriyuki Iwadare, composer for Lunar, Mega Man X7, but I guess not the other Me Mega Man Xs. Uh, no, specifically X7, but you know what? <clears throat> Mega Man um, soundtracks are always amazing. If yeah, no, that's on a true. Mega Man soundtrack, yeah. that's a mark in your That's favorite. true. I don't play Mega Man, but you absolutely The I soundtracks agree. are a banger. Yeah. Uh, Phoenix Wright. Love Phoenix Wright. Again, I don't really pay attention to the music in Phoenix Ride, but good good job. Um, and, and the Landgrisser series. Right, which I think are strategy RPGs. They are, and we will play them one day. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. excited. Yeah. They, I've, I've played a little bit of the first Landgrisser, and it does something that, it works in a way that other SJRPGs don't. Okay. So I found that interesting. Anyway. I mean, will it be amazing like Fire Emblem, or a pile of dog crap like Shining Force? I love Shining Force and Final Fantasy Tactics and Fire Emblem. I like JRPGs, as it turns out. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, he was the composer for Lunar and these other games. And uh, Being the composer for Lunar and this makes sense. I mean, I felt like the soundtrack was uh, did, did provide that sense of adventure of an adventure of yeah. the wonderment of being a 15 year old boy and going out on an adventure and, and meeting, falling in love for the and first meeting time. the coolest girl in the entire world and abducting an eight-year-old and falling in love and abducting an eight-year-old yeah. so we're to gonna... be fair just to clarify sue did want to go on this adventure she was not held against her will she actually <laughs> snuck on board the ship with Justin in a barrel because she wanted to come with him. No abductions took place. We do not need to call Chris Hansen. Thank you. Sue was a willing participant in the adventure until the responsible teenagers said, you need to go home and take a nap. Thank you for your clarification. <laughs> yes, there was no actual abduction. But still, the idea of a 15-year-old who's best friends with an 8-year-old is weird. Well, to be fair, Sue's parents died, and she went to live with Lily, who's the coolest aunt in the entire world. The 15-year-old boy's best friend is an 8-year-old girl. 
But look at the other kids in town. They are All turds. the other kids in town were real turds. I would hang out with Sue, too, oh, if those oh, were my option. Okay. So we're coming near the end of the Grandia train here. So let's go ahead and talk about final thoughts. probably gather I find this game amazing. I am sad that I didn't get to play it back uh, in my younger days and that it took me until a re-release on the PS3 to play it for the first time because it's it's really great. I know I mentioned the Legend of Heroes Trails series a lot in this review. This game reminds me a lot of those games and those Trails games are some of my favorite RPGs of all time. This is also one of my favorite RPGs of all time, and I feel like Trails owes a lot of these innovations and things to Grandia and games like Grandia. So I give this game a resounding A. Um, if you're into JRPGs at all, uh, just into RPGs at all, this is like one of the must-play, absolute must-play RPGs. So this game is symbolic, I guess, emblematic of what I was really hoping for when we started out this project together. Because I like the JRPG format, because I like stories, and that's really a good place to go for a lot of story in your game. Uh, but I hadn't played anything but the most mainstream of the mainstream. I hadn't played, like, half of the Dragon Quest games, even. So, um, this was really an excuse for Russ to educate me on games I hadn't played yet. And occasionally I get to torture him with one. By the way, we've got a doozy coming up in about six games. <laughs> anyway. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's going to be punishment for both of us. <laughs> it's going to be awful. But uh, I love this game. I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of Grandia in my life. But I absolutely love this game. It was a joy to play. Uh, I give it an A-. minus. And the reason it gets the minus is because of the limited personal inventory, which I really mm, hate. Sure. And that the pacing near the end felt really bad. And the end of the game is when you want your pacing to be the tightest because the climax is coming, sure. right? You want to feel like you're rushing into the end of this. And it just didn't. It felt like I was trying to run through mud a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So, but again, that's the last 10 hours of the game out of how, how about how long is this game oh it's 60? super long something like 60 hours for its day super super yeah. long uh, so solid a minus would recommend am looking forward to playing the sequel then again the last time i really liked a game by these people and was really looking forward to the sequel i got lunar 2 <laughs> so i'm a little scared i'm a little worried russ if they want to play grandia where should they go well, you have some options. You can obviously play it on the Sega Saturn or the PS1. Um, it is also available as a uh, PS1 classic. If you still have a PS3, I'm uh, still sort of dating this podcast. The PS5 just came out. I'm a little salty that we're not PS3 backwards compatible on that, um, but yeah. we are not. But if you have your PS3, you can get the PS1 classic on there. And you can also get the version that we played for this review, which is, I guess, probably at this point the best version, on Nintendo Switch, um, because it comes as a compilation of Grandia 1 and 2. 
Um, and you can play it on the go. It's portable. So you got a lot of options for your Grandia. I highly recommend you play this yeah. one. Uh, and I don't, I don't normally really strongly advise. Like normally I just state my opinion and sure. I liked it, I, I didn't like it. But this one is absolutely worth playing. Yeah, this is a real, real um, seminal RPG. So, Russ, you picked this one and thank you for that. So I guess it's my turn to say what we're playing next. Great. We're going back to the Super Nintendo. A great system. For great games. Great, great RPGs. We're playing a sequel to a well-established JRPG uh, series. I can't wait. Breath of Fire 2. Oh, crap. Home on the RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on YouTube.com slash Centaur Productions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMac25. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this podcast with you.